Well, City Life Church, how we doing? Oh, come on, come on. It's not even, it's not even six o'clock yet. I need a little more than that. How are we doing? There we go. All right, you guys learn quick. I am so honored to be here with you, and I've had just the best time, honestly. Um, coming last night to the worship night, it was uh, so refreshing for me. You know, when you're part of a local church, that's an awesome thing. The one downside might be that you don't get to always see what other churches are doing and what God's doing in your area. And so I just want to let you know that God's doing something great here. And when you serve in a church and are part of a church and even give to a church week in, week out, sometimes it's easy in the same way that in your home raising kids, it's easy to feel like what you're doing, like, does it count? Does it matter? But I want to tell you that what you're doing in this house is powerful and it matters and it's making an impact. And so we're about 30 minutes away in Williamsburg. I, I bring you greetings um, from Life Church in Williamsburg from my, from my husband, Christoph, who's holding down the fort with our three kids at home. I think they thought about coming, and I was like, you know what, just don't, <laughs> just, just stay home and hang out, but maybe we'll come back all together sometime soon. So again, I'm just honored to be here with you. I do want to just take a second and honor your pastors, Fred and Vanessa. Can we just give it up for them for a second? And I know they love that I just did that, um, and they don't feel uncomfortable at all by that because they, they really, they're such amazing people. I know that Vanessa is my, I don't know to, if I should call you, I called you my big sister this morning, and then I was like, that's not much better than older sister. <laughs> but um, I'm biased, but they are phenomenal. I don't need to tell you, but they're phenomenal leaders who lay down their life daily, um, both on this platform and at home, to build the kingdom of God. And I'm so grateful for their influence and their impact. And I learned so much from watching them um, with a, do life with a spirit of excellence. Again, not only in church and how they run an organization and all of that and serve people, but even in their home with their children. And so um, I just so appreciate you guys and just wanted to say that. So I'm really excited to be here with you tonight. We're going to continue to build on the theme that we did this morning of Amplify, making his voice the loudest. And I shared this morning that that is a prayer that I pray over my kids daily, um, that they're probably sick of hearing, but I, I say, God, would you make your voice the loudest voice in the room? as I send them off to school or to whatever they're doing. And so we're going to continue with that theme and kind of build on it. If you were here this morning, we're going to reread some of the scripture we read this morning. If you have your Bibles, church, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. If you don't have your Bible, I think we have the words on the screen here. That's verses 2 through 5. That's perfect. I'm actually going to just start at verse 1 because why not? All right. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful tonight for your powerful presence that's in the room as we worship you and exalt you, even as we sing that we will worship you with our whole lives. 
God, that you've rescued us as we thanked you tonight. Thank you for the gift of your presence, that even as, as Chris shared, when we draw close to you, you draw near to us. We're so grateful for that, and we're even more grateful for the power of your word tonight. Would you speak to our hearts and transform us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, maybe some of you can relate to this, but Vanessa and I, our dad, is, is such a fun human. And he is, um, he makes the room better, much like Vanessa, actually. I think she takes after our dad in that way. But one thing about my dad that he always did as kids is he had this whistle. I would do it for you right now, but I don't know how to. He would like put his tongue off to, to the side and do this loud whistle. You remember what I'm talking about? It was so distinct that we knew we could be in a crowded, like a theme park, and we would hear this whistle, and we knew exactly, oh, that's my dad, and we would just, we can find him now. And in the same way, that is God's voice to our life, okay? When we read about knowing his voice, I wish I had a whistle like that. I don't really have a whistle like that for my kids, but I know my kids' voices. So we could be in a crowded room, and when I hear Zoe yell, Mom, I know that's my girl, and I stop what I'm doing, right? Moms have this, like, sixth sense about them. They can just pick that voice out of a crowd. And this morning, we talked a little bit, well, a lot, about how God's voice that we were created to hear his voice. We were created to live by the sound of his voice. And I explained that this passage in John 10, I'm gonna explain it again, ladies, if you were here this morning. This would have been a familiar analogy that Jesus was sharing to his audience because shepherds were a common thing. But you and I, we don't know any shepherds. So let me explain to you how this worked. So there would be a large stone enclosure that all the shepherds in that area would be able to come at night and bring their sheep to a safe place. And one of the shepherds, they would take turns doing this, whoever got the short straw that day, would sit in the opening and create a gate with his body to guard and make sure that none of the sheep got out and that nothing that could harm them would get in. And the rest of the shepherds got to go have a good night's sleep at an inn or whatever. And then they would come back in the morning, the shepherds, and they would walk into this stone enclosure. And all they had to do was raise their voice and speak to their sheep. Now, keep in mind, all the sheep are confused and mixed together at this point. And they would lift their voice and speak to their sheep and walk out. And their sheep, only their sheep, would follow them because they knew his voice. Now, the rest of the sheep, they heard that shepherd's voice, but they didn't recognize that voice because it wasn't their shepherd. So they would stay and wait for their master. So that's the analogy that Jesus is giving us here that's supposed to paint a picture of you and I and our relationship with God and the fact that we were created to hear his voice. So this morning we talked about, I just want to do a quick recap before we build on it, that as Jesus followers, we have been sanctified we are being sanctified. What does sanctified mean? It's just kind of a fancy word that we don't use in our English language that means we've been set apart for a special purpose. Do you know you've been set apart for a special purpose? Much in the same way that you might, you know, when I got married 19 years ago, we still, I don't think people do that today, but we still would register for everyday dishes and then we'd register for China. 
And the china you'd pull out just on special occasions. Now, the point of this is not that the china is better than the everyday dishes. It's just that they have a different purpose. You have a special purpose that's unique to you in the season that you're in, in the community that you're in. And sanctification is also, it means to become more like Jesus. And it's a process. Can you say process? So many of us want this overnight change, this overnight fix, right? Anybody else with me on that? God, just change this thing. But you need to know that you're in process. When you're in process, you don't always know that anything's changing or growing. Day in, day out, things look pretty much the same. And then you'll have a moment where you suddenly realize, whoa, there's been some growth. You know, and my oldest child, he's 16 He's about, I think, 6'3", maybe at this point. He's trying to catch up with his cousins, Derek and Ethan. And um, he, he grew really fast. He was always very tall for his age. And because I'm around him all the time, I wouldn't notice that he was growing. Other people would comment, but I didn't really notice it until I pulled the bin out of our fall clothes from last year. And I'd be like, try this on. And he would he'd put on the jeans, and they're high waters. And we had this moment like, whoa, you have grown that's how life is. Day to day, we can't necessarily feel that I'm being sanctified. I feel the sanctification. No, we don't feel that happening. It's a process. But you do will, you will have moments where you try on those old genes, that old way of thinking, and you suddenly it's like, that doesn't fit me anymore. And we rejoice in those moments, but we need to know that 99.99% of the time, sanctification, it's a process, and it happens slowly in a way that we don't always notice it. So as Jesus followers, we're sanctified. And also we talked about that we were created to hear God's voice. I already said that tonight, but that's so important for you to know. We were not created to just kind of go about life and do our thing. We were created to have a relationship with the one who created us and to live according to his voice. In my opinion, that's the only way to live, and that's the best adventure you'll ever be on. Is it easy? No. But here's the thing. In the environment that we live in, in this day and age, there are so many voices that want your attention. Right? So many voices. You don't even have to try and look for voices. They are coming after you. I said this morning, we are the product. We get on social media, you know you're the product, right? They are trying to get you. They're not trying to sell us. It seems like they're trying to sell us something. You're the product. Your attention is the product. And so how do we amplify God's voice when there's so much noise around us all the time? A couple of things. We need to turn down the volume of the noise around us. And then we turn up the volume of God's voice. We amplify. But if you just try to amplify God's voice without turning down the other noise, it's going to be futile. You must turn down the voice of other voices. You know, our, the worship team, did they crush it tonight? I mean, you guys got to know your worship is fire. It's amazing here in this house. I so appreciated just the blend of voices, and it's amazing. So, your worship team has an in-ear monitor system. Yes, I'm assuming you do. We have one at our church, but we have these little monitors. We're kind of old school. We have the monitors where you do your own adjustments. I don't know if that's how you have it. But so in our ear, if we relied on the sound out here, you'd be like one or two seconds late. There would be a delay. So 
So worship teams have like an in-ear monitor system so they can hear exactly what's going on and adjust levels. Now, without fail, I serve on our worship team at our church. We'll have a new person on the team, and they're just kind of learning the system. And without fail, they'll say to our sound technician, hey, I can't hear myself. I can't hear myself. And the very first thing that technician says back to them so patiently, so kind, is have you turned everything else down? So the person, usually they just try to crank their voice, but they have the level of everything else so loud that it doesn't matter how loud they, they, it doesn't matter how close the microphone is or how loud they turn it up. They cannot hear their own voice. They can't pick it out because you have to turn the volume of everything else down. Who you listen to and allow to influence your life is one of the most important influencers of your trajectory and the outcome of your life. I'm going to say it for the people in the back, who you listen to and who you allow to influence you is one of the most important factors and influences in who you become. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal, which is why Jesus paints this picture. My sheep know my voice. A stranger's voice they do not know. Do they hear it? Absolutely. Do they follow it? No. So tonight we're going to build on this by posing the question, who has your ear? Who has your ear? Because the reality is that God is speaking all the time. It's not a question of if he's speaking to us. We talked a little bit this morning about if you feel like God doesn't speak to me, I don't know. If you're trying to just figure out how to hear God's voice, you start with the word of God because that's his voice to our lives. That's where you start. And you and I told a couple of stories on myself this morning. I'm not going to do that again of of totally missing it and hearing God's voice and embarrassing myself. You got to practice. You got to figure out what does God's voice sound like to me? But you start with the word of God. He's always speaking. It's just a matter of if we're listening, if we're leaning in and if we take the time to actually know his voice so that we can amplify it. In our lives. So we're gonna go to the book of 1 Samuel. Do you love your Bible, City Life Church? I hope so because we're gonna be in it quite a bit. So turn with me if you have a Bible to 1 Samuel. Man, I should have marked this with my little, you're just gonna have to talk amongst yourselves. There it is. All right, 1 Samuel, and we're gonna kind of walk through scripture. I wanna look at two people in scripture and learn from them what it looks like to obey the voice of God and to not, to amplify the voice of God and to amplify the voice of others. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, little context here. Israel, the children of Israel were God's chosen people. And up until this point, they did not have a king. They had a prophet who was equal the voice of God to them. So whenever you hear the, the word Samuel, the name Samuel, think of it as God's voice. This was Old Testament. So they didn't, they, Jesus hadn't died and the Holy Spirit hadn't been sent. So they didn't hear directly from God like you and I get the privilege of today. They heard through a prophet. So that is how the Israelites were, but see, they looked around them to the peoples around them, and they wanted to be like the people around them. They wanted to have an actual in-the-flesh king to fight their battles and to rule over them. Can anyone relate to that? Do you look around sometimes and think, I just wish I could do it that way? I've been listening to, are we familiar with Dave Ramsey? Uh, is that financial? Pe yeah. He, he has this line, and I've started to adopt it and say it in my home. He says, normal's broke. 
We don't want normal. We want weird. Normal's broke. You don't want normal. Here's the thing. You can look around to people to your left and your right and how they're doing life, and yet that might seem normal. It might seem normal to, he would say, it might seem normal to, to finance all this, you know, debt, but normal's broke. You don't want to be normal. Listen, the way that God is leading you and guiding you might seem abnormal, but you don't want normal. Normal's broke. All right, so the children of Israel, they don't care. They want normal, so they ask God for a king, and God relents. And in 1 Samuel 9, verse 2, he chooses Saul to be the king. And it says in um, 9-2, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So we learn very quickly that Saul was chosen and that he even looked the part. So then if we move forward in chapter 10, we see that Saul has this miraculous encounter. We're not going to read it. I'm kind of skipping around, but stay with me. He has this miraculous encounter with Samuel, who again is God, right? God's voice to his people. And he just goes out to look for his father's donkeys. And in the process of doing that, he can't find them. Someone tells him, hey, this guy Samuel, the prophet, the seer, is around. Why don't you ask him? He'll be able to tell you where your donkeys are. So he goes and he has a meal and he has this whole exchange. And in one day, his whole world changes because Samuel tells him, you are God's chosen man. You're going to be the king over the children of Israel. And it says that I love this verse in 1 Samuel 10, 9. It says that God gave him another heart. Meaning that he had such a powerful encounter with the voice of God that he was never the same. So God chose him, anointed him, and then in that moment, he equipped him for the job that he was asking him to do. You know, God never, he never asks us to do something that he doesn't then equip us for. Do you know that? Is that a relief to anyone else? If God asks you to do something, he's going to give you what you need in that moment to do it. If you're a parent today and you feel like, why did you give me these children? I have no idea what I'm doing. Can I encourage you that God is going to give you and is giving you, actively giving you, what you need to be the parent that your kids need. And that applies to every area of your life. So he was invited, chosen, and equipped to be king. But the problem was he made the mistake of thinking that he was his own source. And he valued the voice of people more than the voice of God. Now, how do I know that? Because in chapter 10, verse 16, we learn that Saul comes back to his dad, still no donkeys, and he's met with a servant. Or not a servant, it was actually his uncle. And his uncle says to him, you know, hey, what happened? And he says, I, I talked to Samuel. What did Samuel tell you? And he tells him, well, he told me the donkeys were found. But he left out the fact that he had this crazy encounter and was going to be the king. And then in verses 22 and 23, big drum roll moment. The children of Israel have asked for a king, and God is answering their prayer, and they announce that Saul's the king and crickets. He's nowhere. They can't find him. And then they find him hiding in the baggage. 
Now, at first glance, this might seem like, well, Saul, you know, he's just a really humble guy. He didn't want to brag to his uncle. He didn't want to tell him that he was going to be the king. The thing is, when you read in Scripture, the people that God chooses, they rose up in strength of this is who I am because they knew they weren't their own source. Joseph was obnoxious. He told his brothers, hey, I had a dream that you bowed down to me. And Saul keeps that information out, which again might be, oh, that's so nice. Saul is trying to be humble. But actually, I think it's a sign that he was scared of his role. But you're only scared when you think that you're your own source. When you know who you are in God and you live in humility, it might look like humility to leave out that information, but humility is actually living dependent on God. Humility is not denying and not talking about what God has created you to be. It's actually owning it and standing up in it and knowing my source is not me, but it's God. I think someone needs to hear that. Someone tonight needs to walk away from this place and choose to be bold about who you are. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to tell everyone you see. But if God has spoken promises over you and put something in your heart, and I know he has because you're a child of God, then you need to walk in that. You need to stand up and walk in that and see that as you step, that's the first step of stepping into a calling, is being able to admit God has called me out You know the word decision? We kind of throw the word decision around. Like we decide that we want tacos for dinner or we decide that we're going to lose weight so we do something for one week until it gets uncomfortable. Or we, you know, right, we just make decisions. But actually the word decision, the root word means to cut off. It means you make it so there's no other option. When we say I've decided to follow Jesus, what we're saying is, There's no other option for me. I'm going his way, and I'm going to trust his voice in the bad days and the good days. You make a marriage covenant covenant with someone. You're saying, I have decided that no matter what we face, we're going to work through this together, that I am committed to you. A decision means to cut off. That was not in my notes, and now I'm wondering where I am. It was good. All right. So Saul looks humble, not so much. He's, he's making himself his own source. Now, we see then in 1 Samuel 13, we're about to wrap up Saul's life here, okay? But we're painting a picture. We see that he listened to other voices more than the voice of God. How do we know that? 1 Samuel 13. Let me give you some context so we don't have to read the whole thing. The Philistines were coming to fight the Israelites, and it wasn't looking good. Now, Samuel, the voice of God, had said, hey, I want you to wait in Gilgal for seven days. I'm going to come and give the sacrifice and give you direction about what to do. So Saul, he's brand new at this, just becoming king, is waiting for seven days. And the people, it says the people were scattering from him. He's new on the job. That doesn't look good. That's not good PR. The people are scattering from him. It says that they were hiding in wells and caves. They were scared and running for their life. And he was supposed to be their king. So he waits the seven days. But then he decides, I'm going to give the sacrifice myself. Because Samuel is just, God is taking too long. Anyone been there? I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Maybe I know better. Because look at what the people are saying. They're starting to murmur amongst themselves. And we pick up in verse... 11 through 14. I think it'll be on the screen behind me. Again, chapter 13. 
Samuel said, so Samuel finally shows up after Saul gives the sacrifice, and he says, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Mitchmatch, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself. <laughs> Sounds like a good story. And offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Finally, we see Saul's final downfall in chapter 15. Saul has now defeated the Amalekites, you staying with me in this history lesson we're doing tonight together? All right. He's defeated the Amalekites. And the instruction from God through Samuel was to annihilate them. In other words, it would have been normal. Remember, normal's broke. But it would have been normal that when you defeat a people group, you take all the best things with you. And, and, you, and you keep the king alive, and you make it like a parade, like, look what we just did. But that was not God's instruction. He told them, I want you to kill everything, and I don't want you to take any of the spoil. So in 1 Samuel 15, verse 13, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture. You can follow along with me. It says, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, blessed be you, to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, <laughs> you got to love the sarcasm. What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Notice he says they. He blames it on the people. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, pause for a moment. Again, remember I said in the beginning, Saul, this was not a, oh, he's, he's, Saul did not understand who he was. He was not willing to own up to the position that God had given him. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And this is where we get that verse that you may have heard before, that the Lord does he have as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? That's where we get the phrase, obedience is better than sacrifice, from this passage. Going down to verse 24, Saul realizes what he's done and says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. 
Here is Saul, chosen by God, anointed by God, equipped by God. God gave him another heart. But he allowed the voice of the people to be louder than the voice of God. God is looking for those whose hearts are fully his. The Bible says that he's scanning the earth looking for those whose hearts are fully his, those who are committed to following his voice. We talked a lot this morning about the big decisions and the little decisions and being obedient in both. Sometimes the little things seem like, oh, it doesn't matter. You can justify it. You know, Saul, it's normal. It's normal to take of the best thing. They, they, they had good intentions, God. They just wanted to sacrifice to you. God, we, we know better than you. We want to actually just make a parade to you. That's normal to do that. But God is asking for full obedience. So now I want to look at, surprise, the life of David and the difference between Saul and David. So we first meet David in 1 Samuel 16. You ready to cruise through your Bible a little bit more? All right, 1 Samuel 16, we meet David. Unlike Saul, he doesn't look the part. In fact, he's overlooked. You might know the story where his dad brings in all of the other brothers to be considered to be king, and one by one, Samuel says, none of these are it. And finally, he's like, do you have another son? And finally, his dad calls in David from the field, and God says, don't look at the outward, look at the heart. This is my guy. So he's chosen to be king. And then in 1 Samuel 17, we see that David is asked by his father to go visit his brothers who are on the front lines of the battle, to bring them 10 wheels or something of cheese. It's a lot of cheese for some soldiers. I think they might need a nap after all that cheese. So he goes, and when he goes, he discovers that the Israelites are once again in a bind because the Philistines have this massive guy named Goliath. We know the story, right, church? And they are shaking in their boots because this guy comes out every day, Goliath, and he yells at them and tells them, send someone to fight me and then we'll be your servants. Basically, they're between a rock and a hard place because they need to defeat this guy in order to defeat the Philistines. Now, everyone else on the scene recognizes how crazy this is and how impossible this is. But David, who learned how to hear God's voice out in the field for years, the Psalms that we read, a lot of them were penned by David even in the fields before he became king. David had tuned his ear and had learned how to hear God's voice. Now, did God's voice tell him, hey, you can defeat Goliath, go do it? We don't read that. We don't read that God gave him specific instruction, but his response when everyone else was afraid was one of true humility that says, how dare this man defy the armies of the living God? When everyone else heard impossibility, impossibility, David, because he knew his God's voice and he knew who he was, had the audacity and the courage and the boldness to say, how dare this man defy that? Does he know who he's dealing with? Not me, this teenager with a slingshot and stones, but he's dealing with God. My sheep know my voice. So David stands up, we know the story, and he defeats Goliath. But before he does that, I think it's important to note that Saul finally says, okay, David, you can give it a try. No one else wants to. And Saul puts his armor on him. And I love this because it's so important to note that David tried on the armor, but very quickly realized this is not for me. It doesn't fit me. It's uncomfortable. I'm not used to it. Do you know that you can be you? 
that the challenges that you're facing in your life, you are well able to overtake, and you don't need to do it like anybody else around you. You absolutely can glean from people around you and get counsel, but at the end of the day, what is your slingshot in stones? It's going to be unique to you. David didn't worry about what, what, what should I wear to be like Saul. He knew this is me, this is a big deal, and I'm going to do what I know. And he had honed that gift of swinging that slingshot. And as we know, he takes down Goliath. In 1 Samuel 24, David is now running for his life. So he's been anointed to be king now, the new king. Not a good position to be in because the old king is still there. And Saul is literally trying to kill him. So David's running for his life. And he finds himself at one point with some followers that had gathered to him, hiding out in a cave. And Saul happens to be in the area and comes into the cave he's in, to, it says, to relieve himself, to go to the bathroom. Very vulnerable place Saul was in. David and his men see that Saul is doing this, and the men around him say, David, this is your moment. You've been waiting for this moment. This is your moment to catch him in this vulnerable position and take him out. And David hears those voices, but he knows those are not the voice. And he says, I would never touch the Lord's anointed. So instead, he cuts off the corner of, his, of Saul's robe. And even that he feels convicted about and repents to Saul and says, I'm so sorry I did that. I shouldn't have even done that. The point is David had learned, I'm not listening to the people around me. I'm listening to God. My sheep know my voice. Fast forward, 1 Samuel 30, David finds himself at Ziklag. This was David's probably one of his, he had a lot of really bad moments. One thing we can learn from David's life real quick is that he was a man after God's own heart, but he also suffered a lot of hardship. He messed up, he screwed up. In this moment at Ziklag, he and his men had gone out to fight another battle. They come back and their village where they were hanging out had been burned with fire, and all their women and children had been taken. This is a bad day in the office for David. In fact, it says that his men were speaking of stoning him. And in, in uh, chapter 30, so go ahead and turn there real quick with me. We're going to read just a couple of verses in chapter 30. You know, I think about what would I do if I were in that situation? My, wi my wives, that's such a weird thing to say. David had wives. And his children had been captured, and now his men are saying they're going to stone him. And in verse 6 through 8, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, and he said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, which represents the presence of God. So Abithar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? Again, not listening to the other voices, but God, what are you saying to my life? And God answered him and said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. The good news is that's exactly what happened. In his moment, though, of complete anguish and distress, where nothing makes sense. God, you anointed me, you chose me, you've equipped me, and now I find myself running for my life, and now my women and children have been taken, and all my men want to stone me. 
where do I go? David shows us an example of he went to God. God, what is your voice saying? And one of the things I love about David is his ability to lament. You know, sometimes in the church, I think, to the church at large, we feel like faith looks like, ah, all the time. Take the mountain all the time. But actually, there's a place for lament. There's a place for lament when you don't understand what's going on. You're not quite to where God said you're going to be. You're kind of caught in the middle, and you don't know where to go. It's your ability to come to God with that pain, in that pain, and let God meet you. And it doesn't mean he takes it all away. It means you can sense his presence with you in it. God doesn't say he'll take everything away from us. In fact, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. God's promise to us, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His promise to us is not to take every bad situation out of our lives. He's not a genie in a bottle. His promise to us is to walk with us through it. So David cries out to God. Psalm 61, penned by David, says, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. As I studied that scripture a few months ago, I learned, and I've always quoted that scripture as, God, you're the rock that's higher than I, and he is. But actually, if you study that verse, what it means is the rock that's higher than I is something huge that God has called you to. Have you ever like looked up a mountain and thought, how would I ever get to the top? This is David saying, God, lead me to the, you're the way to the top of the thing you've called me to. He is the rock that is higher than us, absolutely. But even more than that, he has called you up to that rock, and he wants to lead you up there. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. To be clear, David was certainly not perfect. We know the story, right, where he sought a woman he wanted, impregnated her, killed her husband, tried to hide it. And then Nathan, again, the voice of God, the prophet, comes to him. The difference between Saul and David is when the prophet would come to Saul, Saul would make all kinds of excuses. And David's example we see is that he repents. What do you do when you realize you have hugely missed it? What do you do when you realize that you've fallen short? Do you make excuses and try to cover it up and blame it on someone else? Or do you say in brokenness, God, forgive me. I repent. I don't want to walk that way anymore. That is David's example to us. God isn't asking us to be perfect. He's not asking you to do anything he hasn't equipped you for. He's asking you to live your life dependent on his voice. We talked this morning about being quick responders, first-time obedience, first-time obedience. The quickest way to open up your spiritual ear canal is to obey the voice of God. In the big things, certainly, but also in the little, tiny things that seem like they don't matter. It doesn't matter that I kind of told that lie to that person. It's okay. That's normal. People do that all the time. Normal's broke. You weren't meant to be normal. You were meant to follow the voice of your God. My sheep know my voice. A stranger's voice they do not hear or they do not know, so they don't follow it. They hear it, but they don't know it, so they don't follow it. Who has your ear? 
Take a minute, think about that. Who do I allow to influence me? Is it news outlets? Whoo, that'll preach, right? If you have the news, anyway, you can be a news watcher. I like, to, I like to know what's going on, but if you have the news running all day, I, can I just throw it out? That might not be a good idea. I, I don't, I, I notice, you know, I, I'll talk to someone and immediately by what they say, I can tell who they're listening to, by what news outlet, outlet they watch. Yes, we need to be informed, but come on, that is not the voice that leads us and guides us. If you want to be fearful and anxious, let the news influence you constantly. But let's be people who were aware of what God, what's happening on the earth, but we understand like David, how dare you defy the armies of the living God. God is not shocked by the state of our world. He is not sitting like, I did not see this coming. He knows what he's doing. Is, are there bad things happening Absolutely. Are there things we don't understand? Yes. Are we part of the solution as the church? Yes. But we're not going to allow other voices to influence us. We're going to listen to our God. You know, I don't know if you're like me and you have like this email inbox. It's just so full. It's like you buy one product and they must sell your email address to all these different companies. And so when I check my email, probably 85%, it's like delete, delete, delete. It's just these companies I'm not interested in. But it's interesting, their subject line is crazy. They try to get you. They try to scare you or they say something to get you. They just want you to click on the email. Did you know you can spend $1,000 as a small business owner on a course on how to grow your email list? Because if, if they can get it in your inbox, they, could, they have your attention. Some of us need to learn how to hit the delete button spiritually. Not everything has to have a voice. Not everything has to have your attention. My sheep know my voice. And they do not know the voice of strangers. In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said, listen carefully. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's a hard balance to strike. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So if we are sheep as followers of Jesus, we're not known for being fast or dangerous. We don't fight back well. Our secret sauce is knowing the voice of the shepherd because he keeps us safe. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to have everything figured out, but you get to know the father's voice. And when you follow him, the promise is he will walk with you through anything through anything. My sheep know my voice. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Can I challenge you tonight, church, as we talk about amplifying the voice of God? Let's not be like Saul, who was chosen, anointed, equipped. He had everything he needed to do what God asked him to do, but he couldn't follow through because he listened to the voice of the people. He couldn't follow through. Instead, we want to be like David, who may not look the part, but he knew how to listen to the voice of God. You know, you know what's crazy? Is that Saul was God's plan A. Think about that for a second. Saul was not, Saul kind of gets a bad rap, even in this sermon, right? But Saul was God's choice for the job. 
So it's possible you can be called, chosen, anointed, equipped, and kind of disqualify yourself because you're not willing to listen to the voice of God above every other voice, to let his voice be the loudest voice in the room. Now, for some of you, this might be a, a new message. Maybe you've not even, you're, maybe today you're here and you've not ever given your life to Jesus. If that's you, I would love to pray with you to give him your life. There's no secret prayer or, 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 you know, a formula you have to do. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I believe that you died for me and I want to give you my life. If that's you real quick, I just want to give an opportunity. Just raise your hand nice and high so I know who I'm praying with. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. For many of us in the room, we know as Jesus followers what it looks like to follow God, but we need to be re-centered, making his voice the loudest voice in the room. Some of us need to unfollow some people on social media. Some of us need to get off social media entirely and make God's voice the loudest voice in the room. There's no shortcuts to that. Making time for his presence that's what it takes. This morning we talked about simplifying, creating margin, and running to him. Simplifying, creating margin, and running to him. That's how we do it. That's how we lower the, the rest of the noise and amplify God's voice. So we're going to go back into a time of worship. As we do that, I'm just going to pray over you before we do that. God, we are so grateful that we get to hear your voice. We get to know your voice. God, the, the, the following you doesn't look like just following a list of regulations, but it's about relationship with you. God, thank you that you want to give us direction. Thank you that you bring conviction. You show us when we're missing it. Not to make us feel bad, but to call us into more, to give us hope for change. God, we want to be quick responders to your voice of conviction, to your voice of leading and guiding. We say no to all the other voices tonight, right now. We respond in our hearts. Forgive us, God, for letting other voices have our attention, other voices to influence us in a way that is not healthy. God, we're saying tonight that we want you to be the loudest voice in the room. Of course, we're going to be aware of all the other voices. You've sent us in the world as sheep among wolves. We get it. We're in it. We're not hiding out somewhere. We don't live in a vacuum, but we have the ability to hear your voice above every other voice and a stranger's voice we will not follow. That is our commitment to you tonight, God. Amen. Amen.